0: events unravelling, and many of us once again rethinking how we can reapproach our new normal. Today, we'll be diving into things you should know about our changed new world. I'm Colin Day, Managing Director of EMEA, and you're listening to Octopost's original discussion series. Ladies and gentlemen, it's podcast time again. Like, um, welcome to this original podcast series from Octopost, Stuff You Should Know About Our Changed World. Today, My guest is a good friend of mine, Matt Zilley, the Chief Executive Officer at Clarison. Matt, welcome to the conversation.
1: Thanks, Colin, good to be here.
0: No problem, no problem. Look, Matt, before joining Clarison, um, you led field and go-to-market teams at Marketo, which um, Adobe, we all know, acquired back in 2018. Um, Before that, though, um, you've had a wide-ranging career that's gone across sales, marketing, customer success i mean we we actually met like um, through that customer success role of yours over at marketo many years back right um matt you were at um, marketo for seven years so you've seen a heck of a lot of change right a heck of a lot of change in the industry a heck of a lot of change in that organization as you readied it for that ultimate liquidity event um what lessons have you learned yeah, um, over, over that time, and I'm sure you've learned a heck of a lot, but what lessons have you learned over that time in order to to, to live and, and manage through change?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it feels, feels particularly relevant right now. Maybe I'll start at the end and then go back a couple of years, but uh, it's been uh, an amazing uh, couple of months for me to, to take on a new role and join a new company uh, where I can almost literally see the office from my window of my house and yet, uh, can't go into it and can't meet the people and, uh, can't, can't get, get to know folks in, uh, across our, our global team in the way that I certainly would have liked. And so, uh, it, at the very beginning, uh, I've had to completely change my way of thinking about how to engage with a team because. The, the difference of what happened when I was thinking of joining the company to when I actually joined the company was fundamental. All the plans I had for traveling and visiting our global locations and seeing people in person and looking them eye to eye and and all the important things for me to make a connection to a team I'm going to be working with for some time uh, went right out the window. And so, uh, you know, the, the number one thing to me is if you're not open to ideas and thinking, especially in a time in a situation like this, where everybody uh, is learning on it, just an an incredibly rapid clip because nobody has faced this uh, at the very least, the intersection of SaaS technology and pandemic has never happened before. Yes, there have been pandemics, but you know, never both at the same time. And so um, just the, the open mindedness of people, uh you know has been a headline for me because you know if i came into this thinking i had any answers about uh joining a company in the middle of a pandemic and uh uh, getting to know folks and understanding the team and and where we're going to go strategically and all of that uh the approach i would have taken three months ago is out the window and so i have to you know make sure that i'm I'm here to to learn and, and try and figure it out and take advice from people i trust uh faster you know more than more than ever before I'd say and then take that back a couple of years and and uh, you know we were we were at marketo um, just this you know what I, I kind of capstone my time there I think a lot about SaaS was you know still a relatively new thing this idea of some software as a service and everything that meant for how we had to treat customers, and potential customers differently was this snowball that just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger because we all know logically that in in a subscription world, your success as a company comes down to your ability to service customers. That is absolutely the headline, but uh, acting on that and the bar that keeps raising to do that effectively when there are now thousands of customers trying to do that Better and better than the other customer or the other companies in their market because that is what's paramount. I will say that is probably the biggest change from when I joined uh, the working world 20 years ago. And don't look old uh, enough, had, my friend. Uh, you
0: don't look old enough.
1: Well, I grow
0: the beard to make myself look older, right? It's like um, look, you and I met. We're not going to talk about the uh the customer experience on why why you and I met, right? And I'm not talking about the Vegas experience. I'm talking about the one before that, right? But um, um, back then everyone thought that Steve was the CEO, right? So like Steve Lucas, really, it was you, right? Because uh, you know, you were the customer experience officer, really, right? It's like um, you know, you you were the CEO because look. The, the thing i know about you matt right is you put the customer at the heart of everything you do yeah and i think that's how you've built certainly to to the external world to me that's how you've built your brand right is is you understand that um you know nothing happens without the customer yeah and therefore you better then we'll get you know that experience right otherwise you haven't got a business to come back to yeah right. um so so you know if if we think about um you know clarison itself Right so like um you know some of our listeners might might not know um you know who or what Clarison actually is so like um can you give us the the elevator pitch
1: Yeah I'll give you the give you the quick uh, 30 second Clarison is an enterprise platform for helping companies manage their work so everything from agile project management to waterfall projects to resource management to budget management uh, it is the system of record for enterprises to uh, to get work done. Uh, and, uh, and so it's been, um, you know, clarison has got a fascinating story. It's, it's uh, been around as a, as a pure SaaS company for, uh, longer than most, uh, pure SaaS companies, certainly, but, and, uh, uh, went through a, a time where it was servicing all customers, small and large and everybody in between. And, um, you know, it has it has certainly refined, uh, the focus over time and, and, uh, it's been an interesting journey to look back on because it's a case study in how uh, to to really service customers effectively to meet the needs of customers you have to be focused it is nearly impossible without unlimited funding and unlimited resources to effectively service all different customers from all different sizes and all different geographies and all different walks of life but back in the you know twenty late two thousand is uh, uh, two thousand Uh it was that that was the SaaS SAS methodology was you raise a lot of money you you burn the cash trying to grow as quickly as possible and you try and bite off the largest chunk of market you possibly could and um, you know it, it took I think the second generation of SAS to, to realize that was probably not the best approach. And so now I think you see a lot more value in companies where, there's focus and that's the journey that Clarison's been on whereas now you know we're very refined in who our ideal customers are and how we work with them so that we can go into those opportunities knowing that we're gonna meet the bar for success we're gonna meet the bar where success is customers are happy there's a clear uh, business value in working with Clarison it's a partnership where we can hold each other accountable for what we're committing to on both sides and that level of focus is certainly what's helped Clarizen become successful uh, in recent years. And and uh, uh, you know, as I was looking in from the outside in before I joined, uh, it just was a, a shining example to me of of how uh, lack of focus can hurt companies in more way than more ways than one. But one is certainly uh, it can hurt companies in uh, how they are able to service their customers. If you try and go too broad, you'll just fail everybody.
0: So. From a clarism perspective, um, as a platform, so like, where does it fit into, and does it fit into the the sales technology stack, the marketing technology stack, or is it really something that um, you know runs runs outside of that? It's, it's not part of that ecosystem. How would you how would you view it?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a, a great part about being a platform is that uh, we we find that we uh, uh, intersect and and uh, integrate with various uh, use cases and other applications to, that, that vary pretty wildly by customer. It goes back to our ability, you know, certainly comes back to how we make sure we, we focus so that we can service those well. But um, I know per, I'll speak to my personal use case because it's the one I know best at this point. We do use Clarison to manage all of our customer relationships internally. And so to do that effectively, we have to connect to all of our other internal systems, you know, things like Salesforce and so on, and uh, in in so doing, we we become the hub for a number of processes and uh, 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 projects that we're running. Uh, or another great example, our professional services team. You know, certainly in the go-to-market arena, every you know many many companies uh, use Clarison to manage all of their professional services engagements with customers. And right there is a great example where. The reason that our customers choose Clarizen, and this is one of my early learnings, so I still get excited about it, uh, is just that um, we, in the modern world, it's not that a vendor manages a product or a project to engage with a customer. That management has to kind of span the vendor and the customer. And so, platforms like Clarizen these days allow, in my I'll say in my case, my PS team uh, doesn't just run and manage the projects they're doing on behalf of our customers they're actually using the platform to engage directly with customers so that when we're waiting for help on the customer side to get something done, or we're making them aware of something else we're working on, all of that happens uh, in a way that spans vendor and customer because we're kind of coming closer together in this. And so, you know, just, just one example where your modern working world, far different from what it used to be where, vendor would do some waterfall project and then kind of update results to the customer and hopefully you're giving them enough updates that they're happy and informed and so on that that's just out the window our you know our goal is that our customers use glares to engage directly with their customers constantly it's just this constant stream of engagement
0: gotcha gotcha so so matt bringing it back to uh to to your roles so like um, you know you joined um, what was it, um april the 6th so new ceo what's what's the focus of a new ceo so like as you you know as you're coming into the organization i know this one's a little bit strange because of you know timings everything right but um you know, what's 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 been your your focus what's been the the focus for the first 60 days yeah because i know how i could answer that as a cmo but but i've never sat in the ceo's chair right
1: yeah um I will say I think the fir- first job for any CEO uh, in, in the first 30 days in general, particularly during a time of dramatic economic change, is uh, the faster you can have a deep understanding of your financial position and financial levers for the company is is key, and that should be no surprise. It's certainly not the most exciting thing to talk about. but I'll say, you know, as I talk to my peer group and and uh, all the, the CEOs, doesn't matter whether you're small or large or public or private or or uh, uh, private equity backed or venture backed, um, everybody is asking the same question that they just didn't have to ask for the last number of years, which is um, how much longer, if, if the world completely changes, if certain sectors of the market just completely stop buying software in our case, if... Um, The economy is disrupted for 12 or 18 or 24 months. Does that, how does that impact our business? What do we need to prepare for? And so, you know, it's not certainly what I I was uh, thinking was going to be top of mind as I spent, you know, my, my first three or four months of the year talking to different companies and helping them think about growth plans and and where we're going to invest for innovation and how we're going to service customers and and all the things that my my brain tends to go to naturally um that's been there but it's also been with this parallel set of questions that everybody has to ask and you know nobody knows what the economy is going to do so it's all in how how uh you you can how, how sensitive your business is to swings in certain areas and. Uh, and so you know you kind of get through that and you understand and you get to a point of stability and then for me i i was able you know in a a pretty lucky position we have this just incredible global team and being a software company the transition to working from home is normal like it wasn't you know it it was it was pretty it didn't disrupt our business we didn't have to worry about hardware supply chains or food or people that you know are shipping goods or anything that requires in-person work so admittedly, you know, we get through kind of those assessments and understanding pretty quickly, then we can get back to to growth. And, and for us, you know, I, I uh, had the opportunity to spend a lot of our time uh, with our team and with our customers. And and so for me, for the first 30, 60 days, what I spent a lot of time thinking about is how do we make sure, you know, I, I certainly come in with a different perspective. How do we make sure that we're doing everything at that intersection of Claire's in the company and our customers to, uh, have partnership with those customers to service our customers. Well, certainly, but to also make sure that we have a shared view of where we're going and, um, understanding and, and collecting a lot of feedback there. So, you know, my number one goal, my favorite goal is just uh, meeting with a ridiculously high number of, uh, of customers in the first, uh, two months, because, you learn. I learn more from those conversations than I will yep. ever learn from my internal conversations, and that's been that's been great and educational for me. And by the way, but I'll there say,
0: you are putting the customer at the heart of it again,
1: right? yeah, exactly. And that's you know, it's 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 DNA. Like I can't, See, that's, couldn't. That's stop what I myself. keep saying
0: right. That's what I keep saying so. So so Matt, across your career, right? You've run sales, marketing, and and customer success teams, but um, now you're sitting in the top chair as the CEO. What are your expectations of of those sales and marketing functions that um, you know you you were once um, you know neck deep in right it's like um you know sleeves rolled up and and doing the job what what's your expectations of of them now because I guess um you know you're in quite a um, I'd say privileged or dangerous depends upon which way you're looking at it. Right. It's like, um, because you've done the job. So you've got an expectation in in your mind of how long it takes to do things like, um, you know, um, what's right and what's wrong. So like, um, so what's your expectation of, of a marketing, a modern day marketing and, and sales function?
1: Yeah. Um, the number one i'll actually have a good i have a good example of this that, that's probably a little too tactical but it's become my favorite story over the last two weeks so bear with me i'll let you i'll let you edit it out if it's no good but it'll, it'll set the stage for my expectations um, And it's short I, I, as you know you, you join a new company i think i triggered every linkedin alert in the world and started getting emails from every vendor uh out there that wants to sell to the new ceo of clarison i'm blushing and so on. i'm blushing yeah, yeah. No, no, no. This is, this is friendship. This is, I, I'm talking about the people I've never talked to before. And uh, these, so I get one of those emails from a company I have worked with before, and it is a cold reach out, uh, and I will not name the company uh, as much as I would like to, because I think everybody can improve from stories like this. But I get this email that is a cold reach out that is the two paragraph dialogue on how their company can help Clarison and all these bullets on, on why they're the best. And I will say it happens to be a company that I have a particularly positive view of because I have worked with this company before. And it was no secret that I had worked with this company before yet in this email, it was the classic, uh, they referenced nothing about my background. They referenced nothing about the work we had done together. It was without question, the, either the next email in the cadence or uh, you know somebody just kind of drafted their normal email and sent it to me and said here's all the reasons why this company is great and you should buy from us and i read this thinking uh if you had sent me an email that said we've worked together in the past would love to connect and see what's up i would have been about a thousand times more likely to respond and instead i am now on a podcast telling a story about how awful and Impersonal, but you didn't say their words.
0: name, Matt. You didn't say their okay. names were changed to protect the innocent, right?
1: That is very true. Very, very. Uh, to very uh, yes, exactly. So I, right. I think and, I uh, think what
0: you're what you're saying there, right, is personalization and relevance um, as two words.
1: Exactly where I'm going. It is the intersection of sales and marketing these days, especially if you're working with larger companies, where you can find out what a company's goals are, what they're trying to achieve. Everything comes down to understanding the person who you're trying to engage with and their business situation at the time. And with those two inputs, you can be helpful and personal and an advisor to the company. And that is the bar that I hold my teams to, knowing that there is always a scale game here. We always have to figure out how we're reaching as many people and the right people. And that's, you know, it can be a pretty significant exercise, but that's where I go technology back early, comes
0: my, into it though, Matt, right?
1: Without question, it has to, and that's the difference between now and 20 years ago when I started in this, this was like to me, I was, I'm, I'm too logical. It's, it's the, well, there's this group of customers. We want to reach them. Let's go understand what they need and go sell to them. And that used to be like hand to hand combat for any salesperson. Now, thanks to technology we can scale that almost odd infinitum and uh, uh, uh but at the same time if we scale it too much we lose the personality and the, uh, the personalization and the relevance and uh that's where my bar is I keep are, are you seeing social
0: bar. selling being more of a uh you know an important factor with inside the uh, um your organization matt is that something that uh, that you guys have focused on
1: I, uh, uh, I, to the point where it's just selling as far as I'm concerned. Um, it is the, the, the way that things are done these days and the bar, the, 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 the mark of success or not lack of success is we have all this information at our fingertips. We understand what people care about. They put themselves out there. We understand what their companies care about their companies, put themselves out there. Uh, we have these direct connections that we never had before. And so you bring all of this together and, and, uh, social selling to me is just personalized selling. It goes back to understanding the person and understanding the company. And, uh, so it's a core, a core focus for us, um, to make sure that we are always doing everything we can to just be as relevant and useful and helpful to potential customers as possible.
0: Gotcha, Matt. Look, I once heard you say that um, you know market what you believe, not not what you do, right? So market what you believe, not what you do, right? Remember that Sam?
1: I do. Yeah, I cool. Do. I've uh, never had my words used against me. I don't. You haven't used it against me yet, but I'm worried. You've got a look in your eye like you're going to use. It no,
0: never, me. never. Look, look. With this tang going on, Matt, I could never slack like, and look anyone straight in the eye ever again. But um, um, you know, market what you believe, not what you do, and. Um, how do you go about impacting cultural change in a company because that's really what you're talking about there right is is you're really like talking about getting to your sellers getting to your marketers right and and getting them to you know drink from the 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 corporate it's like um um you know kool-aid right and and you know i always say if you don't believe in 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 the product yeah you're in the wrong job because you know it's it comes across right in every conversation that you have with a a client and a prospect so, so what what's your words of advice about you know how you you take that mantra and and how you go about um you know inflecting change um or inflicting change um with inside a company yeah when I say change i mean I mean cultural change right
1: yeah yeah cultural cultural change is an interesting one because i think you know as i've seen across my career every company has a different approach and understanding of what culture even means to me it comes down to a lot about uh you know kind of some old, old cliches but how you act when nobody else is in the room or nobody else is listening and how are decisions made in an organization i think those things have a big impact on culture but but yeah i realized long ago every organization is different in how they even do they, do they even quantify and write down what their culture is or not and and is it you know it's always there but but do your do your own teams understand what that culture is or not And so i think a big part of it comes to you know realizing culture is like the biggest broadest term that exists out there and knowing that not everybody even has a shared definition of what culture means is, you know, can be kind of eye opening and, and I'll, you know, personal experience from recently in joining, in joining Clarison, I actually came into the situation where there's an incredibly strong culture and, and a culture, by the way, that has been anchored in servicing customers. So in, inherent alignment there, which for me has been interesting to get to your question around, um, you know, that I, I'm certainly not going to come in and advise that we should not uh, continue to do everything we can in service of our customers. So uh you know but that doesn't mean that everything is perfect and that that we don't need to change certain aspects of our culture so for me it came down to you know really being intentional about some of the things that we do need to change and how we need to to think about those things and and focusing on core areas which in my case happens to be the you know 10 to 15 percent of the culture that you know we want to evolve a little bit versus Radical change management uh, from where we used to be. And so I think there's a lot of value there, and just you have to have a deep understanding first of what culture is. If you come in with your, like, this is what the culture should be, you get thrown out on your ear because culture is like a snowball. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as it rolls down the hill. You can't change culture overnight. It takes change in what you say, what you do, who you hire, uh, who you fire, all of that kind of comes into it. And so you have to, I think, be open to understanding what the culture is first, and then you can focus on the right things that need change. And if that's a lot of change in a high degree, it tends to lead to a lot more hirings and firings because culture is made up of people and you have to manage yep. that. But uh, In other cases, you know, when it's less than that. You can really manage it with focus goals, focus areas and in a, a couple of different things.
0: Oh, thank you, Matt. Matt, look, you said um, I've got a glint in my eye. I certain, certainly have got a glint in my eye with the next question, right? You told me that um, I should treat this as a video interview, right? And it's not me interviewing for the job or and it's not you interviewing for the job. But um, um, what's the one interesting thing or, or give me one interesting thing that uh, that's not on your CV?
1: Oh intre- prof- if it's on, not on my CV could be so could be
0: professional it could professional. be personal Matt. it it doesn't uh, matter right give us give us one interesting thing for the audience that, that's not on Matt Zilli's on on Matt Zilly's CV or resume as you would call it over in America
1: Yes yes we'll americanize it so i can understand the question um, there you go the uh, <laughs> you're thinking uh, about that far
0: too long my friend as well
1: No yeah well it's it's yeah um, i think uh, Ah, oh, man, there's, uh, maybe I am fear that there's not that much that's, that's interesting is these days, honestly, my world is consumed outside of, of my resume with trying to keep a five and a two-year-old entertained uh, when they're not uh, in school. But that's not anything different that people aren't dealing with. So I think the probably the most interesting thing that's not on my resume is uh, uh, when I was in college, I decided to become a private pilot and uh, had had dreams for years of uh, i was actually going to go to the try try and go to the air force academy in uh in the states and uh uh, in enlist uh, or not enlist but but uh go through the path of of becoming a a a pilot for the air force and that ended up not happening but i still had the bug and so uh, as you can see by the picture behind me uh my, my house is kind of surrounded with Aviation-related stuff. Uh, after I got my my pilot's license, uh, uh, continue with that for a long time, and and uh, it, it's been uh, an important part of my life. That if I ever, if I quit tomorrow, if I ever wanted to go find another career, instantly I would go down the path of uh, becoming a professional pilot.
0: So Matt Zilli, you're telling me that you're the guy right? You're the guy that we all need to travel with because if, if ever that shout goes out, is there anyone that's a pilot on the aeroplane? You normally get the doctor, but let's go for pilot, right? Matt Zillie's there to save the day. Matt, have you ever flown that plane behind you, by the way?
1: I've What's not ever it? flown. No, that's the China Clipper a little bit little bit before my time. Uh, so no, I've not flown that, uh, that plane in particular. Although that plane, uh, the original story on that plane, is uh when it took off first from oakland here in the bay area try uh, on its maiden voyage i think it was its maiden voyage to fly to hawaii and the pacific islands uh guam and so on uh it didn't get high enough fast enough to get over the bay bridge and so on its first flight with passengers it flew under the bay bridge in the bay area which is uh you know a, a slightly nerve-wracking approach
0: yeah scary scary hey matt Zilly, our time has come to an end so uh, my friend um let's wrap it up but uh, ladies and gentlemen matt zilli ceo clarison thank you so so much for joining the conversation matt
1: thanks for having me gone <laughs>